We are glad that you are here. Today is a great day to be here because we're going to be talking about journey, past, present, and future. And why are we here? And where do we go from here? Um, I want to also give you just an overview. You'll get, be hearing more about this in the coming weeks. The food pantry is a great opportunity to be involved. And one of the things that we've learned is that in Hamilton County, in every county that surrounds Hamilton County, there's a food bank in every community. In other words, if you cannot afford food, you can, can walk, you know, or get a ride or ride a bus to a, a food bank in your area. And Hamilton County is the only county in any of the surrounding counties that, that does food vouchers. And a food voucher is... I'm hungry, but there's no food bank. I have to go downtown or to Saudi Daisy or to Eastridge. Um, and if you can't afford a meal, you probably can't afford a car and gas to go pick up the voucher. And then you have to go to the food bank that is available and then back home. Um, this, our goal is to cut out food vouchers and just have a food bank in every community. Um, and this is just when we've had an opportunity. So be involved with that. But we do have several things coming up that I want to tell you about, I want you to be aware of, uh, and then Scott and I are going to share just a little bit about the story of Journey and where we're headed. Um, some events that uh, are coming up on the radar I want you to know about. On Sunday, November 20th, that's in two weeks, we're going to have a night of worship here. And it's going, I'm not teaching, a, there's not me a sermon, it's going to be a night of worship we're going to be worshiping, not that, you know, sermons can't be worshiped, but we're just going to be a time of just us coming together and worship. But we specifically also want to honor and thank our volunteers and all of you who are serving in different places. So we're going to have a dinner before. So put on your calendars in two weeks, Sunday night, November 20th. I mean, 10th. Thank you. 10th. Um, I don't know why I'm saying the 20th. November 10th. And uh, I think we'll probably start around five for dinner and, and worship. Um, and that's going to be a great time together. We're also going to have some fun prizes. And just we just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, a large number, if you attend Journey, more likely than not, you're serving somewhere in some capacity. And we want to say thank you. We want to honor that. And uh, we want to have some fun together. And we also want to worship together. So it's going to be a great night, November 10th. Plan to be here. If you're thinking, well, I don't serve. Well, there's a great opportunity to get involved. Um, we would love to have 100% participation if you call Journey Home and serving. And we're close, but we would like for that to happen and would love for you to, to be involved with that as well. Yeah, if you, if you have questions about our ministries, that would be a good time to come and get plugged in with some of the leaders that are there and, and maybe some ministries you don't even know exist here at Journey. We'll, it's not just for people that are already volunteering, as Mark said, and we'll be, be happy to share some of those ministry leaders with you and you know, get, your, get you plugged in somewhere. Right, right. So let me give you an overview of also opportunities. We have lots of opportunities for you over the Christmas season. And it's just October, not even November yet. Um, we're already talking about Christmas. But we know how the holidays go. So let me just give you a, a quick way for you to uh, just, or just put this in your mind. We'll, we'll be advertising more of this later. But there's one I want you to, if you're interested in, I want you to jump on now. And that is Thanksgiving Day. Typically, we don't do a lot of Thanksgiving Day events simply because... A lot of people do Thanksgiving Day events. A lot of churches do. Uh, we've done them in the past where they kind of shuttle you in. You serve your few minutes, and then they got to get you out so the next group can get in. So we just decided to opt out of Thanksgiving Day events because so many churches do that. But there is one that is in need of some additional people. And this is uh, a drive that the Salvation Army does. 
uh, that they do every year, and they provide meals for some of the low-income housing areas in our community. They have a goal of serving several hundred meals to people, and this is what it would look like. On Thanksgiving morning from 10 to 12, uh, it means going, I believe, to the Salvation Army. Is that right, Mark? Go to the Salvation Army. If you have a van or a truck, even better, load up some meals. You go to a location, and Mark, correct me if I say anything wrong. Uh, if you go to a location, you knock on the door, you say, do you, do you want a meal? If they say yes, you hand it to them, you go on. Uh, Mark is the what you, our president. Is that your title? What's your title? You're just a peon now. He used to yeah. be somebody. He's a now nobody he's just now, a peon. <laughs> Of the of the um, a now he chapter, has to actually work. Right, of a chapter of the Christian Motorcycle Association, and they have been a part of this ministry for several years. But they are in need of additional people to come alongside. So if you're in town and you're interested in being, in, this is an easy thing to do. You can be done before lunch. Um, the way that you sign up, two ways: one, come talk to Mark or to Tracy. Or you can go to the Get Connected page, which is journeychattanooga.com slash sign dash up. Uh, you can find that link in version, and you can sign up right there online, and Mark will get in touch with you with all the details, okay? It's a great opportunity. It's Thanksgiving Day. Mark? Just to make a little, a little bit clear, um, all the people that are getting the meals who have already previously signed up, and most of the places we go to are like the Powers downtown and so on, so uh, it's not like we're just showing up and saying, hey, do you want a Thanksgiving meal? They're kind of expecting us to be there, and then just go from there. Okay. Good, good clarification. All right, some other things I want you to put in the back of your mind. Each Christmas, we support a certain number of families at Christmas. And uh, this year, we are going to be supporting three families at Christmas. Uh, two of those families are at Room in the Inn, which is a ministry we've been a part of for several years. Uh, and we actually have several opportunities with Room in the Inn. If you're not familiar with Room in the Inn, it is a ministry primarily to women. Uh, to, it is to women. Um, but also for single mothers who have children. And there are not a lot of places, if you're homeless and you are a single woman with children, that you can go. Room in the Inn is a place that not only can you go, but you get life training uh, and opportunities um, to learn and to grow until you're able to get a job, sustain yourself. You move out into kind of a halfway house um, where they provide you a home until you're able to then move into a permanent place. Uh, It's an incredible ministry. Kathleen Cunningham has been um, our lead for that for several years, as long as we've been doing it. Um, And so we are going to be supporting two families that are at Room in the Inn right now. Additionally, we're going to be supporting a family, as we did last year, from Signal Mountain Social Services. And if you're not from Signal Mountain, you may think, why are we helping anybody on Signal Mountain? And the incredible reality on Signal Mountain is while there are some very wealthy residents there, It's also an area of great poverty, often generational poverty. They are living in their parents' and their grandparents' homes. They just continue to pass the home down. Some are living multiple generations in a home. And so we are adopting one family. We are going to be putting a sign-up list together if you would like to participate. Um, and, And we're going to be asking for all of those donations to be brought in by December 8th. Is that correct? By December 8th. Uh, also, our kids' time is going to be going on December 18th, 16th, I can't, 18th, um, and they're going to be actually doing some ministry with some of the children that are living at Room in the Inn right now. So if you have a child, second through fifth grade, that's involved in kids' time, they're going to have the opportunity to do that. 
Um, we're also going to be collecting chapstick uh, to go in some of the gift baskets from Signal Mountain Christian Services. Um, we're also going to be collecting some socks, gloves, um, hats, hats to, uh, for the food bank so that when they come through on the 19th, they, they, can, they are certain items they get, and then there are some just items that are provided for free if they want them. And so we're going to help provide some warm clothing options for them. Um, so you're going you're to hear about all of this more. I just want to put in the back of your mind that these events are happening. And then on the 19th, we're going to be providing a meal for anyone who comes through the food bank. Just so as they get their food, they're actually going to get something to eat while they're coming through. The last thing I want to share with you, and again, we'll share all these again with you in, in the coming weeks, is that our youth are going to be doing some caroling. We adopted a couple of widows in North Chattanooga this summer. Uh, and we took care of their lawn and did some things for them. Um, we're going to go and put some gift baskets for them together and go carol, sing to them, and just minister to them as well. So we have a lot of things coming up for Christmas. I know Christmas gets busy, and I know you have lots of opportunities to give. Um, so we want to put this in front of you so you're prepared and so you're ready. I know that we can not only take care of these things, we can take care of way more. Uh, we may have some last-minute opportunities come up. But for now, this is what we are going to be uh, doing for Christmas. Okay? Any questions? Am I as clear as mud? Yes. Good. I'm glad. Okay. Just go to the web page. Go to, go to the website. Because <laughs> I don't think you'll Those remember will all that. will all be up this week. Some, the Thanksgiving um, opportunity with the Salvation Army is already on, online. The rest will go online this week because we're just finalized plans for these. Okay? All right. I'm going to pray with you. And then uh, we've got much to chat about in the next few minutes. Father, God, I thank you for this amazing morning of worship with an incredible family. Thank you just for the reality that is our church and for all that you've done through us in these last 12 years. Father, I pray that you would allow us to be a people of courage as you have called all those who have come before us to be a people of courage as well. Guide us, direct us, show us where you're working, and by all means, us along and allow us to see what we need to see, do what we need to do. Father, let us be focused on your kingdom above any other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've been talking about courage, being courageous. Last week we talked about the definition of courage, and the definition of courage is the ability to do something even when you're afraid. Uh, There's always an element of fear. There's always an element of some level of sacrifice required. There is a part of courage that we can learn. There's a part of courage that we must earn over time of conquering fear. In addition, we looked at what it means to encourage someone. And to encourage literally means to instill courage into someone else. It's not just a compliment. In other words, we don't just encourage people by saying, you look nice today. Well, that may be interpreted as encouragement. I feel better about myself or things. But literally to encourage means to instill courage or the ability to overcome fear in someone else or to do something that requires you to overcome fear. Today we want to talk about what it means to be a courageous congregation. And as we look at our church and we look at all that God is calling us to be, we have some challenges. We are not alone. We look out at what's going on in the world and in the culture, 
And there are some things that will never change with us. The gospel never changes. God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. What he is calling the church to, while we may do it in different ways at different times, that calling never changes. But amidst all that, we live in a world that is always changing. And what we have typically done in the church is kind of bury our head in the sands and just say, we're, still, we're just going to do our thing. We're going to do our thing the way we've always done our thing. And, and if you love God, you'll come and do it our way. And if you love God, we just need to be more convincing, better programs, better music. This is what uh, God said to Joshua as he was going and beginning to take over as the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, were about to go into the promised land. This is what was said to Joshua, who took over after Moses. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. You cannot follow Jesus without courage. The world is not patting you on the back for following Jesus. It requires courage. It would be interesting to know throughout all of us, do all the people we know know that we are Christians? And I'm guessing for some of us, yeah, some of them don't know because, you know, if I told them, I don't know how they would respond to me, or I've got to work with them, or they're in my, or I'm married to them, right? Hopefully that's not the case. But I've got to do life with these people, and I'm just not sure I want to complicate things. When we look at the story of Journey, and if you're our guest today, some of the things we're going to be talking about, we're just going to assume some prior knowledge, so kind of hang with us. If you have been with Journey from the beginning, you may want to go back and listen to this podcast again, because we want to share several things and move quickly through this, but it's all in our minds important for what God is saying to us. But Journey has always been called to be a courageous church, which requires a courageous vision, courageous leaders, and a courageous congregation. You do not have to have courage to be a church in America today. You can bring your closest friends together, and many of our churches have no relationship with anyone outside of them. They have no relationship with their community. They have no relationship with anyone that does not know Jesus. They are so focused on their own congregation. You can be a safe place to practice faith, and you don't have to in any way endanger yourself, your church, or take any risk. But that is not the story of Journey. For us, we have always been called, and our vision is not about growing a church, but about being the church that God is calling, all right? So this is the overall thing. If you don't leave with anything else, just know this. Everything else we're going to talk about is going to fill in what we think this looks like. Journey's always been called to be a courageous church, which requires a courageous vision, courageous leaders, and a courageous congregation. I shared with you last week my, con- my con- uh, conversation before we ever started with a church planning guru who said, you can never plant a church in Chattanooga. People have tried and they failed. You can't plant a church in Chattanooga. 
And so I, the little bit of, of rebellious streak in me says, oh, I'll just watch this, you know, and that's not yeah. really healthy either. But I, that is part of the courage that we said we've got to go and do this. If you don't know, Scott and I met, how many years has it been now? 12 or 13, probably. About 13 Someone... years. It was probably 2006, Yeah, probably the fall of 2006. Scott was... Tell, tell yeah, what you I was doing. I was in a local church. Um, had been there for quite some time. Uh, was friends with the pastor, and I served on his creative team. We were trying to find, even in that church, ways to creatively do ministry, uh, not just to be different, but to reach people we felt weren't being reached with the gospel. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of churches in Chattanooga that look a lot alike uh, and do a lot of similar things. Well, I was on a team that was kind of called to to bring the message in a different way, to bring that same time-told gospel message, but to wrap it in maybe a little bit more modern rapper that the the people that we were we felt we were really called to minister to would understand. And so that's that's where I started and and Mark was a the pastor there was a mutual friend with Mark and then Mark and I got together and started talking about church. Yeah. Yeah. And through trying to come up with creative ways to share the gospel, we found a common belief and what it would look like to engage the culture at that time with a church that did not look like the other thousand churches in our area. There were at the time a thousand churches in Hamilton County. And so we began to talk and we began to move in the direction of, well, what is God calling us to plant a church? I had been working in that direction for a couple of years and uh, I came to, to Deidre and I said, Deidre, I think God wants us to plant a church. And she said, that's great because I don't think that's what he wants us to do at all. So um, if you know what's healthy in a marriage, we didn't. And we waited another year. You just said, year. yes, ma'am, you're yeah, right. You're right. Okay, we're staying here. She said, church planting doesn't, you know, anyways. Um, well, that's, but after about a year. Can we say year, she's wrong yeah, now? Can we say I, you were wrong? After about a year, year and a half. We continued having conversations about what God was doing and what we felt like God was saying to us as a family. And she found, she came, not finally, because I had kind of given up on the idea, but she, <laughs> she came to the place of saying, you know, I think this is what we need to do. And that coupled with the relationship growing with Scott and talking about what we imagined the church being, uh, we just all came together. Karen jumped on board and was supportive and ready to, to, to jump in the area of faith. Uh, your kids were younger back then, and, yeah, and you know, were... now they're adults and uh, doing all kinds of incredible things, and, and our kids were just babies. Um, and so... Yeah, how old was Jonathan? Uh, six, he, he was two? He was two. He was two? He still hasn't grown out of the terrible twos, Maybe but it's okay, one. Jonathan. Like I got one. faith, bro. Yeah, he, he was, he was uh, about a year old when we decided to do it. Maybe two when we actually had our yeah. first service. And, um, and so... We wanted to just say for just a few minutes where we've been. For those of you who've been with us from the, how many of you have been with us pretty much from the beginning? Let's see how many are here today. So we've got a smattering of hands that are still, have been here pretty much from the beginning with us. But many of you have been with us now for years, and so you know a lot of this story and um, kind of where we've been. The common denominator was not creativity. That no. was not our goal. The common denominator, what we felt like our calling has always been, was to be the church that Jesus envisioned for the people that Jesus called us to. And what we found in our respective church experiences were that they were great opportunities for those that knew how church worked. So if you knew how to talk the talk, walk the walk, hide the, hide the dark stuff, cover up the tattoos, you know, don't talk about your struggles, 
then, then you can fit in. And, and not everyone in, in a traditional church is that way, but there are, there are some. Yeah, that, that was part of the, the, the thrust for me wanting to be involved in a church plant was I had friends that I could invite to a small group and we could talk about uh, the things of God and have a great relationship with each other. And then they felt like they were foreigners in any church I attended. No matter how creative the church was, no matter how good the people were, they just always felt like they didn't fit. And that bothered me that I couldn't find a church to bring my friends to. Yeah. And we felt like there needed to be a church. At the time, we didn't need another church in Hamilton County. but we felt, And there weren't a lot of new churches. Several started around the time we did. But before that, there really were not many. many. There was maybe one other church plant in town at the time. And so we decided to go all in and to care for the people that would not walk in any other church. It's one of the reasons we meet here. It's one of the reasons that we don't have a steeple on the building. Um, is that we felt like there needed to be a different uh, a different environment. And in a few minutes, I'm going to share with you that we feel like that may be changing as our culture is changing. But at the time, that was our goal. Be a church for people that don't want to go to church. And that just sounds crazy for those who know Jesus. But at the same time, it just sounds like the Great Commission. <laughs> so that kind of dichotomy that we struggled with, how do we be the church for people that don't even want to be here, drove a lot of the things that we did. The Great Commission was a driving force, Matthew 28. Uh, the uh, disciples, uh, 11 disciples, Judas at this point is already gone, uh, went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our calling and what we have felt that God wanted us to always stay stringent to was number one, to reach the lost. This is Jesus's call to us, to share the gospel with those that need it. Now that doesn't mean that discipleship is not important. In fact, we've learned some hard lessons over the years in the relationship between sharing the gospel and discipleship. It's very easy to share that message of the good news, the gospel. It's very often to get people, it's very often hard to get people to move from where they're at and deepen that disciple relationship. Right. To reach the lost, to disciple the saved is another of the core values that we've had, one that many of you have resonated with that I love about our congregation was to be an authentic people. I mean, what you see is what you get. We're not any better than this. We're probably not any worse than this. Uh, We want to be an authentic people that allows people to be themselves. We've at times used different phrases, come as you are. The problem with come as you are is it can communicate, stay as you are, and there's nothing in the discipleship relationship that allows you to stay where you're at. I'm not the same place I was when I became a Christian in the next 20 years of my life. I sure hope I'm not in the same place that I am right now. Mm -hmm. This is why we call this place Journey. We're not a part of any other Journey churches. Uh, We're not following any Journey church models, but we believe that we are all on a journey. We're at different places on a journey. We can engage at any moment, but God is going to take us somewhere more. 
So that's where we kind of get our name, but a lot of that is around being authentic. Be honest about what's going on in your life. Don't pretend that you've got it all together. Don't act like you have it together and look at someone who clearly doesn't have it together and communicate, you see, they clearly don't have it together. But to be authentic. Yeah, a very typical thing that happens in a, a traditional, more traditional church is once people find out that you don't have it together, you're not nearly as welcome as you were when you had that, that facade that you were putting on that you had it all together. And, and I think one of the reasons for that is because that's a house of cards. It's a house of cards to pretend you have it together. Right. And when you're faced with someone who's not pretending anymore, the house of cards falls. Because you can't pretend anymore. You know deep down inside, even if you're working hard on the exterior, deep down inside, you're broken. We don't just want to be authentic in our brokenness. We want to be authentic in our redemption. Authentic in our healing. Authentic in our growth. It's, a, it's, it's authenticity across the board. But with that growth, what often happens, when I first started ministry, a statistic came out from Barna, gosh, you know, 20-something years ago, that basically said when a person in a church becomes a Christian, they typically lose all relationships with unchurched people within six months. Mm-hmm. Now, that's changed over the years. And part of that's changed because the church doesn't have the same social pull that it once had. But that is a problem whenever we lose the authenticity to care for those that are outside the church. And um, we want to always maintain and be sure that as we're growing, we're bringing other people along as well. To love God and to love people. Many of you jumped on. You really enjoy that. Uh, That's probably the vision statement of 90% of the churches uh, in, in the country everybody's got some version of this. It's the greatest commandment. Um, And then also for us is not just to do ministry as a program in the ways that we can think how to do them, not make it a business, but to minister under the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you grew up all talking about the Holy Spirit. I did not. I grew up in a denomination that the Holy Spirit was called the Holy Ghost because it's scary and we shouldn't talk about it. (laughs) Whenever we talk about the Holy Ghost, then, uh, you know, now you're talking about speaking in tongues and prosperity preachers and stuff. But if, if you're a student of scripture at all, then the Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial for every step along the way of following Jesus. You cannot come to faith without the Holy Spirit. You cannot have faith without the Holy Spirit. You cannot maintain faith without the Holy Spirit. You certainly can't follow Jesus anywhere without the Holy Spirit. Jesus literally said, I'm giving you this so that you can follow me. And so we want to do ministry under the power of the Holy Spirit, which means we want God to be active among us and working among us. Yeah, Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That verse kind of shows the model of what journey has always wanted to be is, you know, when we talk about missions and we talk about serving those outside the church, so often we only think about, at least in the, the background that I have, the denomination I was a part of, overseas. It's always, you know, the mission field is always in some foreign country. And, you know, 
Jerusalem was where they lived. So it started in Jerusalem and then it went to Judea and Samaria and all over the world. And so there's places for olives to plug in and ministries that go from right here outside these doors to somewhere else in the world. Right, right. Over the last 12 years, if you've been a part of Journey, you've seen us do different things, try different things. You've even seen a progression of the way we do worship along the way. And we are always refining and changing that. So as we have looked over how have we tried to do this, a lot of it has to do with what we do on Sunday mornings because that has been, for the most part, the primary way in which you meet new people if you're not in the community. And so we've done a, a lot of that on Sunday mornings, the things we talk about, the way we talk, what it looks like on stage, um, how we talk about our church, the, the series that we do, uh, there are all focused to lead someone to authentic faith and to follow Jesus, not come to your church thing and then go about the rest of your life. That is a recipe for the death of your faith. But if you are following, engaging, experiencing what God is doing around you, if you are hearing from what he is saying, and I know right now, I don't know if you're a social media follower, probably most of you are, there's a huge thing going on right now between John MacArthur and Beth Moore. I'm sure some of you have followed that. And it's all about who can God use. And as we've kind of looked at this argument, and it really isn't even John MacArthur's fault because he was kind of set up, but it has created a conversation in which when we look at this and about you know how you do ministry, um, there are some just traditional ways that people have done it, and they expect everyone to continue to do them that way. And there's a great amount of antagonism towards doing anything different. Also, a lack of authenticity in which it's not about what God is doing in a person. It's about maintaining a system that has been put in place by others. Yeah, I shouldn't be telling you how to do ministry. You shouldn't be telling me how to do ministry. That should be coming from the Holy Spirit working through both of us to do ministry. Yeah, and we've got to be active working with Jesus. And one of the things she's been criticized for is she says she hears from Jesus. Now, I'm not a huge Beth Moore follower, but I got to say, if you don't hear from Jesus, there's a problem in your faith. Now, when I say hear from Jesus, I do not mean that all of a sudden he gives some new revelation about something that's not said in Scripture. Usually when I hear from Jesus, it is through his word and it is him opening my eyes to what he is doing around me and saying, now you go do that. It may be driving by a person who's panhandling and you think your first glance is, I bet they're driving a Lexus somewhere around the corner. Or I I bet, you know, they aren't even someone in need. Or I bet this is their own fault for being in the situation you're in. But if you've never had something that says within your spirit, you need to stop and do something then there's something, not, there's something not right. It may be, not that the Holy Spirit's not speaking to you, it may just be you've been taught not to listen to an, a, a nudge by the Holy Spirit. And when, once you begin to hear what Jesus is saying about the world around you, changing your perspective and being able to see it as he sees it, gosh, you've got to hear from Jesus. You've got to hear from Jesus. And it's not talking about something outside of Scripture the Holy Spirit will never push you in a direction outside of Scripture, ever. And I have found, like I shared last week, if you're not in Scripture, I rarely have those experiences. If I'm not regularly in Scripture, I rarely experience God speaking. How many of you usually when he speaks to you that, I told you not to do that. That's kind of been yeah, my experience. 
sometimes. All right, so where are we going? This is, this, this is what we really want to get to. Where are we going? There are four things we want to share with you today, all right? And then we want to share some trends. We want to be careful with trends because trends give us a picture, but they are not a prescription. And um, one of the thing, first things I want to share with you, what does it look like to be a, a, a congregation with courage or to have congregational courage? Number one, congregational courage requires authentic faith. If you're going to have courage as a congregation, that means as a congregation, you are at times going to have to take risks. At times, you should face fear. At times, there are going to be a push in which you want to say, I just doesn't feel comfortable. I just don't want to do that. Like Sarah coming up and speaking mm-hmm. in the microphone for her first time, and she did a great job, right? That took courage, okay, because she didn't want to do it. How many, how many of you it. are naturally risk takers? That's not very encouraging. And, and, that's uh, and I would be in your, and I would be in that camp. I'm yeah. a planner. I try and avoid risk and avoid. That's my job. That's my nature. I try and plan things out. You know, and it's and it's scary when you don't have a plan. And yeah. sometimes you have to just do what God tells you. Yeah. There are two places in our men's group. The guys who are meeting on Wednesday nights. Gosh, we are having such a good time together. Um, and if you're looking for just an opportunity for a small group for men, it's very casual. Uh, but we just have some great conversations, and we had a great conversation on Wednesday. And part of what I want to share to you today, we actually talked about on Wednesday. Um, but there are two places. When we talk about authentic faith, Jesus talked about this in some of the most frightening words possible, and it is this. Those of you who think you know me and think you're going to heaven and think you have faith, I don't, have, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. You are not part of me. For me, those are the scariest words of Jesus. Paul was scared by them. He said, I'm scared to death. I'm disciplined my body. I'm working hard. I'm beating the air like I'm boxing the air. I'm trying to do all this because the last thing I want to do is to preach this for my entire life and then be disqualified from it. So they are frightening words. This is what he says in Matthew 25, verse 31. It says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, when he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord... This is the righteous. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when he did see, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, this is the unrighteous. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He'll answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, 
you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, Jesus had already said something similar to this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, a lot of people focus on these two passages on the doing. In other words, you should be doing more. If you want to go to heaven, you should be doing more. That is not the point of what Jesus is saying. Now, we like this in the church because it's easier to give you a list of what we need you to do. That's right. That's why in the first church that I became a pastor, the committee that was hiring said, we need a CEO of this church to lead it to grow. It was a complete business model. We just need to do what we have to do in order to build this thing up. And we need somebody to come in here and be the head of the business and make this business profitable. That is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, if we look at this, what we find between the difference in the righteous and the unrighteous, it's not that they weren't doing, but it's how Jesus talked about it. It's the attitude they did it with. Those who knew Christ served him without thinking about it. When did we do this, Jesus? Hey, when you were doing it to all these other people, going about your natural day-to-day activities, you were doing it to me. Those who are following Jesus with an authentic, courageous faith often don't even realize they're doing it. It just becomes a way of life. Service is a way of life for a Christian. It is not a responsibility. There's a difference. Now, we'll talk about it in different ways. We'll try to recruit you for different things. There are things that it takes to make this happen. Like if you all drop off all your babies in the nursery and there's nobody in there, you can come in here and hang out. And it's soundproof enough, <laughs> but it's not a good idea, right? So there are certain things that should go happen just to not you know, kill a kid, right? So there are certain things that have to be done for a church to operate. Now, it would be great if we just had so much money, we just never had to look at where the money's going or look at a budget. Wouldn't you like to live your life that way in your family? Gosh, I don't, we don't need to budget anything. I mean, we just have a bunch left over. You know, we just, we, you know that's the, the, the image of I, I, I'm, I'm cold, so I burn money. You know, I just burn it because so I, I don't even think about the value of it. Which is found nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture. So there are things in which we, we do, but that is not what Jesus is saying. He's not trying to make a guilt trip. He's saying that those who know Christ serve him without thinking about it. It's a way of life. What we also see is those who don't know Christ kept a record of everything they had ever done. Depart from me, I never knew you. But wait, 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 wait. We were prophesying in your name. We were feeding people in your name. We were caring for people in your name. Now, you may look at that and go, well, what's the problem? I mean, if they're doing all these things, isn't that a good thing? What Jesus is saying is that's not the point. The doing is not the point. It's the being. It's the heart. It's the fact that you're changed. Your heart is changed. 
And so when he looks at those and he has two different groups of people, those of you who have truly seen a change, I know you. Those of you who are doing all these things because you think you're just supposed to do them to get all the benefits, you've not really changed. This is transactional for you. There's a difference in those two things. Jesus is looking for people whose lives are completely changed, not just those who have modified their behavior. Yeah, I see that a lot when working with people that have addictions and things. There are a million programs out there that will tell you steps to take, and you can take these 12 steps and you'll be better. The problem is you're doing the steps. You're not changing your behavior. You're not changing your motivation. You're not looking at why do I do the things I do. You're just putting another set of steps and rules on top of your already bad behavior. And it doesn't lead to a productive life. Yeah, yeah. It also takes away the power and the control of the church. Which is why we like to focus on doing. I like to guilt you in this stuff. I can control your behavior. I can say, I want these five things done because these are the five things important to me. This is what you should do because they're important to Jesus. But whenever you have a change of heart, then you're just constantly looking for ways to live in in the way that Jesus did. And you look and you see. Some of the most generous people in the world understand this. Some of the most service oriented people in the world understand this. And there's a difference in me saying there's a need that needs to be taken care of. I get to take care of that. And, oh, there's a need that needs to be taken care of. Somebody's watching. I better take care of that. One leads to life and excitement. It leads to joy. It leads to encouragement. It leads to being built up. One leads to being tired and burned out and resentful. Change in the way we see the world. That's what Jesus wanted us to see. This, it's a, a change. This is when he talks about my kingdom's not of this world. Yes, I'm a king, but not of this kingdom. It's not something I have to do. It's something I want to do. Yeah. I, this is why Jesus consistently says, those who have eyes to see and those who have ears to hear. Because a lot of people will miss it. But this is what he says it looks like to have an authentic faith. Anything else there? I think we're ready to move to the next point. You want to do number two? Yeah. Congressional courage requires courageous leadership. What do you guys think of at Journey Church when you think of leadership? Who are the leaders? Pastors. Pastors? Who else? Anybody? Worship leaders. leaders? Youth and children's leaders. Youth and children's leaders? Who else? What? Elders. Elders. That's one of the ones we'd like to talk about this morning is we, we do have elders here. We uh, maybe a different model, a congregational model than what you're used to, especially in um, folks that come from a conservative Baptist background like Mark and I did. We, the, most of those churches had deacons, which amounted to a business committee. Our church is led in a different way. We're led by elders. Those are, those are people that there's some certain qualifications set forth in Titus uh, versus... Uh, beginning in verse 5, Titus 1, verse 5 says, here's the qualifications for elders. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. 
for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violently or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give the instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. The testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth, but to pure. All things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Again, this passage is showing a contrast, just like we were talking about those who are truly following Christ and those who aren't. This is talking about leadership. There will be leaders that come along that aren't good for the faith, that aren't following Christ. And, but there will be true, holy leaders that are above reproach. And that's one of the things that we look for in elders. And this morning, I think, Mark, we would like to announce yeah, our yeah. Well, candidates and, for elder. Yeah. Well, so... Let me also just say, yeah, let me also just say this about Titus 1, 5 through 16. In those first few verses, a couple of things. Um, this is a very similar list to where we talk about deacons. Sometimes we look at scriptures like this as very prescriptive. Okay, there's our checklist. Now let's check off every one of these and make sure that they fit that list. Um, when we look at the deacons, that was formed. With, it's a very similar list of, of the kind of person that needs to lead in the church. And some of you may say, well, it's always talking about men. But what we actually find is that there are women that carry these same titles throughout the New mm-hmm. Testament as well. In the area of being a deacon, there were two congregations that were struggling to feed all of the widows. There was the Jewish congregation and then the Hellenistic Jewish congregation. Those were Jews that had come from other parts of the world, and they would worship in a different location. So between these two churches, it was one church. It was kind of like the, the original multi-site for those of you mm-hmm. who follow church networks. And so the Hellenistic church over here, it's not one church. And they all came to one fellowship hall and everybody got fed at the one time. And people just kind of ignored those because they didn't fit in. That's not what's happening. It's a distributed church model. The, yeah, there's two different congregations. One's a Hellenistic congregation, and their widows are not getting fed like the widows in the home church, in the main church. And so they said, okay, appoint some people that will go <coughs> and care for those widows from the main church to make sure they're taking care of the church at the Hellenistic of the Hellenistic Jews. Now, I want you to imagine... If these qualifications were not being met, someone who is not the husband of one wife, but maybe has a couple or two or three, or maybe isn't even married. However, they go over and now they're primarily caring for who? Single women. And single women looking for a husband and men who may forget what their purpose is. That's as far as I need to go with that. Okay? So make sure if you're going to deal with this business, they know how to handle business. Make sure they're going to treat these women the way that they need to be treated. And the best way for you to know how they're going to treat these women is how are they treating their own families. 
And so what we have here is a picture of leaders who are handling their family well. What we have is a picture of people who are going to oversee the ministry. And in, the, in some of these scenarios, um, they're not open to the charge of debauchery. You don't exactly want that person who's been charged with that to oversee the children's ministry. You know what I'm saying? You want to know that they are of character that can handle this. Or of insubordination. In other words, they don't want to follow what the rest of leadership is saying. They're just going to always go and do their own thing. Must not be quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain because that could devastate a community. Yeah, and it's not greedy for gain. It's not that it's a paid professional position. It's that many people want that for the power of the position. Yeah. To make themselves look better. So some of the things we look for in leadership, and elders are uh, kind of our stop at the top, buck stops with elders. We instituted elders several years ago and when we were just a staff-led church, which means we got to do whatever we wanted. Not really, but that's how it could have come about. And we felt a need for accountability within our leadership. And so we are currently four elders we have an elder dropping off, and we have two elders that we are proposing to come on. That would take our number to five total elders. You're welcome for the math lesson Sunday morning. I know math's not your thing on Sunday morning. It's not mine either. And so what we've looked for, we're looking for people that are invested in our church, that are demonstrating that they have an authentic faith and walk with Christ, that they are caring and leading their families well. It does not mean that we have a checklist in which we have gone through and made sure, oh, you're perfect. Here's the thing about leaders. None of them are perfect. And though we can ask Jesus to be on our elder board, he's the head of the church. He's not available for elder meetings. You know what I'm saying? Now, he should be there in spirit through his word and through the Holy Spirit working through that group, but he's not going to hold an office. He didn't do it in the early church. He's not going to do it today. And ultimately, he's the head of the church. He's like the head elder. (laughs) But he's the only perfect person we could put in that position. Simple guys, for any of you that, that, that might think someday you'd like to be an elder, don't try the perfection thing because we also talk to your wives. So it's Yeah, <laughs> so, and so they will rat you out. Picture. They will rat you out, right? We also look specifically for those who are currently serving, and we look for those who are currently generous within our church. We feel like those are all important characteristics to be a leader. Now, there are a lot of people who are serving and are generous and leading their families and are are doing incredible things for their faith. We felt led to two different individuals. Uh, One is uh, Ken Brown, who is here. And uh, you'll know, if you know Ken, you know Ken's not perfect. And, uh, (laughs) but that's, that's what we love about him. That's what we love about him. Um, And Sally, I don't know, Sally, I don't see her. She may be out with the kiddos or she may be, I'm not sure. She may be serving in kids. Um, if you haven't gotten to know them, I'd encourage you to do that. And um, you're going, in the second um, is Rick Adams. And Rick's wife, Helen, is here. But Rick is actually out of town with his mother who had a health scare. And uh, so he's there just caring for her and helping to care for the next step of her, whatever's going to happen. Um, and so both of these individuals have been a part of our church for a while now and have demonstrated uh, an authentic faith. They have demonstrated an investment in what we are doing at Journey, and many of you have benefited from their ministry here 
as well. Now, the way this is going to work moving forward is we're going to ask over the next couple of weeks these guys to share their testimonies. The way that we do elders here is that the elders propose who they believe should be replacement elders. That's what we're doing now. We're proposing that Rick Adams and Ken Brown be um, our next two elders. Now, we don't do a lot of congregational votes as a church. We don't do a lot of business meetings. Uh, but there are certain instances in which we ask you to either affirm or deny what we feel God is saying to us. Now, there are a couple of ways that we're going to ask you to be involved. Number one, we want you to be here to hear their testimonies. If you have questions, we want you to come to, with questions. If you have concerns, we want you to come to an existing elder, primarily Scott and I. Josh is probably, he's out in the back somewhere. Um, uh, make sure your mic's on, by the way, so you're not getting anything from you. And, uh, and so if you have concerns, we want you to bring them to us. Once we've had sufficient time for that, then we're going to ask you to affirm or deny through a vote. And we've not done this in a while. Once you affirm them, if you affirm them, once you affirm them, then they will act without asking for congregational votes, except in special cases like big budget issues, uh, if we're going to move, uh, if we're going to buy something, you know, something that's just huge for our whole church body. Then we'll come to you if we're going to bring on a staff member, things like that. Um, your affirmation affirms that they will be able to lead in that way. It's for a commitment of three years, and then they'll roll off, and we are working towards a rotation that, uh, that we have just constantly new people coming in as elders and people rotating off so we can share the leadership with our congregation. But leadership is not just elders. And leadership is not just being in charge. Courageous leadership is facing fear. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. I may not be good enough. I may not have ever done this before. I may not be able to make this happen. One of the problems within churches is we tend to give the same positions to the same people because we know they can handle it. But the way the church is supposed to operate is as a body. Every person is involved. Courageous leadership says, I'm going to be there. I'm not just going to give it my leftover time. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to plan. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to give it my very best. I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to show up. It means that when you show up for kids' ministry, do you know uh, our regulars, you guys show up all different times of the day. Like some people will show up at 2 o'clock, not really, but you'll show up at all different times, but a guest will show up early. And so if you're serving in kids' ministry and you come rocking in here at 20 till because you're fashionably late, guess who's been waiting for you to show up to care for their children who they do not know you? It means showing up early, being prepared demonstrating as people are coming in, we've got your kids. We're going to take care of them. We're not just going to babysit them and feed them a whole bunch of sugar and then send them home and good luck. But we're <laughs> Although we did gonna, have donuts this morning, yeah, our apologies. We'll do that. But <laughs> we're going to love them and we're going to teach them. Okay? So courageous leadership spreads out to our whole body. It means praying about things, and you're not sure if we can pull it off, but we go for it. And I love to take risks. I love to take smart risks. I don't like to take stupid risks. I like smart risks. And if someone says, this is what God I'm convinced is telling me, for me, that's a smart risk. It may not work out. 
But if it's what God's telling you to do and we don't do it, we've just lost out on what God wants to do. Courageous leadership is important. All right. A second thing, a congregational courage requires courageous generosity. Giving is a part of following Jesus, period. Similar to the serving, like Jesus was saying, giving and generosity, if you will read any of the New Testament, will find you cannot follow Jesus without becoming generous. Now, generosity, like serving, should not be guilted into, it should not be done as a test, and it should not be ex- expressed in a way of, I, this is just what we have to do. Yeah, it's not, it's not another one of those boxes on the checklist. I'll check that one off. I, I gave a few bucks this week. Right. Generosity is an indication that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Now, some would say, well, but tithing is an Old Testament thing. Yes. Tithing is an Old Testament, old concept that we pushed for years. Bills aren't. Huh? Bills aren't. Bills aren't Old Testament. That's true. Well, the, there is a practical part of the church has to pay for bill, pay for stuff, right? There's a practical part of that. But generosity is the process that we change the way we see the world and stuff. Came across an amazing uh, statistic. I've seen this before that this particular group that is a group focused on generosity did a study, and I can't remember how big the sample was, that eight out of the ten of the people in which they talked to that were tithers, regular givers, did not have any debt. Eight out of ten. See, generosity changes the way you handle stuff. I don't have to have it. I don't have to have more. I've got more than enough. Generosity is that discipline to say, there are other needs I need to give to. We've never suggested that you give everything to Journey, but you should give something to Journey. It's breaking the yoke of greed. It's breaking the yoke of enslavement to debt. Sometimes the question comes up, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do I get out of debt and then give? Because we have a lot of young families and most young families, statistically, already are over, you know, over their head in debt. Do I get rid of debt and then become generous? A lot of times, whenever you begin to do that, if that's the mindset you take, as soon as you get out of debt, you feel so good about being out of debt, guess what you go do? Get in debt again. Get in debt again. Oh, now we can go spend again. Even if you have to start small, be generous now, even if you're in debt. If it's a dollar a week, Everybody can do more than a dollar a week. But if it's a dollar a week, that begins to build within you the discipline that allows you to be generous and break the yoke of the need for more stuff. This is, again, a change in the way we see the world. Generosity is not about you got to do it if you're going to be a good Christian. It's about changing the way we see the world, we see God, we see ourselves, and we see stuff. Right? Stuff is not inherently evil. Money is not inherently evil. The love of money is evil. Money itself is not. Along with generosity comes the third thing. Congregational courage requires courageous spending. That means we have to spend courageously. That means that we need to 
have the highest payroll of any church in Chattanooga. That's not what it means. Yeah, it means we need to spend money we don't have. Yeah. See, that's usually what this conversation leads to, right? We're going to do a capital program. We're going to build a big building, and we're going to do these things. But, you know, sometimes courageous spending means we need to spend less. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? See, there are a lot of things that a church provides and that we spend money on that we like, i.e. air conditioning, eat. We stop paying our utility bill, we save money, right? Well, that takes courage, but it's also not really a smart risk, right? You got no lights, we're going to sit in here in the dark, it's just going to be really creepy. That's not a good idea, right? <laughs> Sometimes courageous spending means we've got to jump and we've got to think big and we've got to pray big and we've got to spend big. Sometimes courageous mm-hmm. spending means we need to pull back. We need to cut spending. And we need to spend differently. Fourth thing, congregational courage means focusing on the people Jesus focused on. Which may be people different from you, which means they may feel uncomfortable. Congregational courage means focusing on the people Jesus focused on. What we have found, and this is really the good stuff, and we're out of time. So that's how it goes with us. Yeah. But we're going to plow ahead. You would think we planned it that way. We, we did. We're going to plow ahead here and, um, and then continue this conversation later. Over the last 12 years, what we have seen and why we're having this conversation on congregational courage is the fact that the world has changed in the 12 years we've been a church. There are lots of factors that are happening today. But the world is not the same place that it was when we started. We try to be the same church today that we were 12 years ago. We've already moved into irrelevance. The reality is you can read through Scripture and thousands of years have gone by in the Old Testament with very little change. The world itself was not changing around them. But for us, the world is changing rapidly. There are a number of reasons for that. The digital age is one. The digital age is changing our culture faster than in any other time in history. The way we have relationships, the way we date, the way we communicate is changing rapidly. The way we work is changing rapidly. The way we earn income is changing rapidly. Our world is changing, and with it, people are changing faster than at any other time. We laugh about what life was like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. We're moving into an almost every two or three years significant shifts in culture. And if the church is going to continue to say the gospel's for everyone for all time, we have to recognize that we live in a changing culture. The church does not change the message, but the church has to change the way it engages the culture if you're going to focus on those that are outside the church. Because if you don't, the church is going to be left back here with no one to minister to. We're going to be so self-focused and so this is the way we do it. This is the way God says we do church. And then you wind up having no mission because you have no people to minister to. Right. Some of the results of all this change is that we're more disconnected in authentic relationships with other people than at any other time in history. We have false relationships built on social media, texting. We don't spend time with each other. We don't feel like we've got those people. And some of you do. But often people do not feel that they have someone that they can go to if they have a need. 
You know, one of the things that I think that just quickly here that, that has changed in the church atmosphere is safe. It started probably changing the 60s or 70s. Church used to be, and Mark referred to this earlier, this was the social event. This is where you came together. This is where your friends were. This is where you got together and did things because you didn't have these millions of entertainment options and social things you could do and all these things competing for your time and attention. Church was where you went to do those things. And that is not true today. That's right. That's right. We've also noticed in the last 10, this just came out this week from the CDC. Suicide rate for kids ages 10 to 14 has almost tripled in the last 10 years. You've been watching the news, a 10-year-old orchard knob committed suicide this week. Fourth grader. Fourth grader. Part of that is because of this changing culture and this lack of true relational integrity with people of value in their life. Family, friends, people of faith. It's changing. Relationships are degrading. People are hurting. People are not finding a relief. The builder generation is almost gone. You look around at almost every big church around here, that was built by the builder generation, the greatest that, generation. That was built by my parents and grandparents. They're almost all gone. Charity giving is tanking because it was upheld and started. There are more nonprofits per person in Chattanooga than any other city in the country. Did you know that? Giving is going down. Not near at the rate that giving to churches is going down, which is a lot faster. Giving continues to decrease because it has been upheld for years by your grandparents, your great-grandparents. That means a seismic shift in the way we do social ministry in the world, the way we do church in the world. And you and I will not preach a sermon or have a program that reverses this. This is where things are going. The next point, sins of the church are coming back to haunt it. How many of you think the church, even in America, has a good reputation today? What do we hear about on the news? Scandals, things like that, uh, moral failures, sex scandals, greed, the prosperity gospel. We see the church is seen as not only not being authentic and genuine, sometimes it's seen as being damaging to people and taking advantage of very vulnerable people. So that's another thing that we are working against is the general um, attitude towards church has changed. Right. As a result of some, these are just some of the changes. These are the ones we're looking at. As a result, the number of people who say they are Christians in our country is dropping fast. It's an exponential drop, which means we've seen, oh, that's concerning. Oh, that's concerning. Oh, that's concerning. Oh, that's concerning. It's happening quickly, and it's happening exponentially. The number of people walking around away from faith that call themselves Christians is rapidly declining. I don't particularly think that's a bad thing. I, I believe that if you know Jesus, and he has become the greatest treasure of your life, that you would sell everything you have to buy a field in which you get that treasure, or sell everything you have to, for the pearl of great price, Listen, it doesn't matter how many people drop away. I'm not giving up Jesus. Amen? Amen. But the church, and this is part of the sins of the church, has pushed such a consumer-driven model of church for so long that a lot of the people who call themselves Christians don't realize that they aren't. 
and they are leaving in droves. We have to be aware of this. This is affecting us. This is affecting our community. We are the belt buckle of the Bible belt, and it is happening here. All right? This is going to continue. It doesn't mean that we're afraid of it. It means that we recognize it, and we look for opportunities to still do relational ministry with people yeah. outside I think, of I our I think walls. this is a good, good point to go down to. What does that mean for us, Mark, as a church? Yeah. Um, you're skipping all my other stuff, Scott. Yeah, because we're out of time. <laughs> all right. Let me see if there's anything else. I'm not going to let you skip. All right. Churches are in decline. He's, he's, he's right. Churches are in decline. Did you guys hear that? I, I like to hear that. Yeah. We'll cut that out of the podcast. Um, <laughs> overall giving down, I've already mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that we're also seeing in the last 10 years. The most vibrant worship gatherings are getting smaller, not larger. In other words, we're, we're focused on what is true, intimate, and real versus what is big and showy. That's a trend. It's a good trend, I think. Um, facilities. Big facilities that are used twice a week are going away. They're not sustainable. They were never smart. That's the way we've done it. We all buy our own building, build our own building, have our own place, and it sits empty most of the week. We all know it's a problem. But it's the way we've done church for so long, we don't necessarily know what to do with it. What does that mean for us? Okay, five things and then we're done. These will be quick five. Because these are going to be conversations we have for the coming weeks, not just today. I want you to know that following the way is more important than following a trend. Following Jesus is more important than following the latest church growth narrative. Because you can't keep up with those trends, no matter how hard you try. And some of them are false. There's a statistic out there saying that 1,500 to 2,000 churches are closing um, every month. And it's propagated by just about every group out there, but there's no true data behind it. We don't know how many it's declining, but it's not that number. But they are in decline. We don't follow trends, but we are aware of trends. What we do know is that pastors in churches that are going away aren't being replaced by a next generation. Yeah. Large attractional churches are in decline. One of the ha- I grew up Saddleback and Willow Creek were the thing. They were huge. They're in massive decline. Saddleback just celebrated 50,000 baptisms over their history. And yet they will tell you each year they have far fewer baptisms than the year before. North Point Ministries. We have a North Point campus in Chattanooga. I've followed a lot of North Point stuff. And massive uh, attendance decline. Even though there's still so many people that go, few people recognize it. Massive decline in attendance. Even in what we would consider our biggest, healthiest churches that get it, know how to do it, the attractional churches are declining. Um, we've changed some things over the years. We've continued to move more missional than attractional. We always want to attract the lost. But being missional is more important to us. 
In other words, we don't want to just get you in the door. We want to disciple you and make you a true follower of Christ. We want to continue more partnerships with other churches. We want to continue partnerships that address real social issues. On November 17th, our friend Oliver Richmond, he's a, he came just as a guest once, but he's a, the leader of Kingdom Partners. He's also been one of the people that's one of the architects of doing the racial reconciliation conversation around town. We've been talking about with you for the last few weeks. He's going to come here, talk with us. I'm going to interview him. What does it look like for us to deal with race today? We're going to do that in two weeks, November 17th. I want you to be here for that. We need to continue those conversations. We continue being involved in those things. Continue being involved with partnerships with other churches like the food pantry. Um, just to pass on an invite, uh, we have built relationships with Mission Red Bank. I'm not sure where they are. I think they're that way. Mission that way. Mission Red Bank meets in the Meeting House, an Anglican church. Red Bank United Methodist right beside them on Dayton Boulevard. We're not doing a fall festival. They've got one tonight. Deidre and I are going. I invite you to go as well to Red Bank United Methodist. Uh, there's going to be a combination of different churches participating. There's going to be worship and fun and food and all kinds of things. We're going. I invite you to come. Rather than us all doing our own things, we're just going to go support them. It's not a competition. It's not a competition. Um, continue with ministries in the community. Less spending on our facilities. We've been sharing for months now. Our average giving any given month is $10,000 a month. It's a lot of money. Our minimum expenditures are $12,000 a month. Over half of every dollar that comes in goes to this, this, this building. And this is the last place we ever wanted to be. Give generously so we can pay for a building. That means it's time for our church to have courage to make some decisions to put our spending more in line with a missional vision to share the gospel with our community. And this building ain't it. Now, there's a number of reasons, I think, for that. Some of it is we are not a community church. You guys drive from all over. We're a community regional. church is, means they all come from our, all our neighbors come. You guys come from all over. And most people don't even know we exist down here. We need people to know we exist. And so we are working in a number of ways. And we have a number of opportunities that are kind of looking at us right now, or we're looking at churches that are available, churches in our area who have offered us to use their space. One of the things we have to begin to consider is what does it look like to have a facility that isn't wasted throughout the week? Some of the churches, like Mission Red Bank, have a coffee shop during the week. Uh, there are several of those now in town. But what does it look like to do ministry? Some of the some pastors I'm talking with would love to, to, to form a ministry center in which we share a facility and we use money for ministry. There are any number of opportunities. There are opportunities for us to move into existing facilities outside of this community. And right now we're in a process of saying, God, what do you want us to do? 
I would like to know what you think as well. We have four options for you to take on a survey, and I want you to take this survey. You can take the survey on the iPads out front. You can take it if you're on version at the, the Get Connected link. We are talking with our current landlord, who would like for us to stay, about reducing our cost to be here. And we're going to come to an agreement on that. And we have some time here. We're not about to go belly up, but we have some time. But we're going to need to make some courageous choices. What does it look like moving forward, given these trends and the reality that a big building that sits empty most of the week is a, is a way of doing church that is quickly going away? Yeah. We can either be on the back end and hold out as long as we can, which is what most people do. Or we can say, God, what do you want us to do now here in this place? We have always been a risk-taking, courageous church. I'm not proposing a risk today. I'm telling you the risk is coming. I'd like you to pray about it, and I'd like you to tell us where you feel led. There are four options on that survey. You can fill it out. If you have other thoughts, you can write them in. um, There's a place to write those comments in. And in the history of our church, I will say that almost... Anytime we were courageous, it involved a change. Yes. And this is the last thing I'm going to say, and we've gone way over. But No, you went way over. I was on time. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to say is, as a church, being a courageous church means we stay true to what we are called to do. There's a terrible story in the Old Testament of a man who had the opportunity to become the leader of his clan, of his family. And he went out and went hunting and came in and sold his birthright for a plate of food because he was hungry and he lost the blessing of his father. We are not a church who is willing to sell our birthright for a plate of food. And a plate of food for us is whatever it takes to get as many people in here giving and attending our programs as possible. And be comfortable. That's our plate of food. It is about being on mission with Christ, going where he tells us to go, taking risks when he tells us to take risks, and being faithful what he's called us to be as a church. That's an ongoing conversation. That's what I'm going to leave you with because I believe this is the place that God has brought us to today. All right? All right. You pray. Do the survey. If you want to do Thanksgiving, sign up for Thanksgiving stuff. We'll tell you about the rest later. Father, God, thank you that you have forgiven us when we have moved outside the realms of your calling. Thank you for the calling to go and take risk for your kingdom. Thank you for this community who I know I'm suggesting a change and we don't like change, but God, I believe this is a courageous church and that you are calling us to a place of courage. I pray that you would speak to us in a way that we know that it is you and that we are following your will for us. I pray that our ministry to others will continue to grow. I pray that we would be wise as we look at what's happening around us, but yet we would never compromise the gospel to get people to come here. 
Father, if this is a time and a place for us to move, I pray that you would lead us and make that path straight. And if you have another plan for this church, I pray that you would do the same and make it clear to us. I just thank you for the work you've done. I thank you for the history we've had. And I pray that we would be exactly where you desire for us to be in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.